this week's Merge Conflict, we talk about how to create a great local offline experience, server maintenance, and Apple's amazing, wonderful, imaginative, glorious cloud kit. All this and more in this week's Merge Conflict. When I write applications, I think a lot about backend servers. I like my apps to have some kind of communication and sharing between users, but it's always a conundrum for me. I worry a lot about server maintenance. I worry a lot about getting that code right. I worry about mundane things like error handling. It just makes an application harder. But mobile apps, mobile apps these days, they're all about the network. And so I thought it would be a good topic to talk about today. Yeah, I think more recently than not, I've been doing a lot more online, offline, connected experiences, if you will, having data synchronization across all the different devices that, you know, who knows what my user is going to install this app on. And I think that kind of comes down to a clear distinction is if you're building an application for just one device, how can you take advantage of maybe that hardware or that operating systems like feature set? But then also, what is the concerns about all of these things? I mean, this is something that you have to go through, Frank, all the time because you have apps that are only on one platform, um, such as like MoCast, and then you have some applications like uh, iCircuit that are on every single application platform that's out there, including Mac and Windows and yeah. all these different platforms. And then you know, each one handles those differently if you just stick to the core SDK, right? We have to branch out at some point. It's a real problem. And I'll honestly say that the back end is is often one of the things preventing me or helping me get to be a cross-platform app. It's a real major consideration. And that gets back to the simple idea that I'm terrible at running servers. I don't want to run servers at all. Instead, I just want to use high-level frameworks that take me away from the day-to-day maintenance for sure, the weekly maintenance, and hopefully even the yearly maintenance of servers. And it all comes down to, I want networking in my apps, but I'm always just afraid of it. Well, so does that, does that, well, if you even step back before you even start building your application, when you get the idea for an application, or maybe it jades your thought on when you go to build an application for the first time, or even have an idea about it, is that like one of your major concerns like getting Absolutely. started before you even hit file new is it does it you incorporate that into the app design oh yeah by file new hopefully you have kind of an app architecture in your head and that completely completely is dictated by how are you handling the network are you going to share data between users are you going to allow them to upload to a website will you have a website component will you have an online api Will you have a gallery where people can share? Will you have a social aspect to that gallery? Every app, I mean, even if I'm writing a weather app, I consider all these things. <laughs> and the, the truth is, I mean, for pretty much every app, I do say, yeah, it would be kind of nice to have at least this one little social aspect. And so then it branches from there. I do kind of curtail it a bit. I think anyone who's used my apps have noticed I'm a little bit light on the uh, sharing side. Uh, but... It's not due to a lack of desire. It's a little bit afraid of uh, servers and how to handle data correctly. Yeah, I think I think you know for this conversation, it's a lot of application developers, including myself, we're consuming a lot of data. And I'm not a, I'm not talking about it. it. Doesn't sound like you're talking about consuming the data. It's more mm-hmm. about the sharing of data, the connected between different devices, but also users. You know, when we were building the Evolve Conference application, 
we obviously had a data source that was getting data and synchronizing data through Azure for the sessions and things like that. But what we had to actually be concerned about when you think about integrating a backend is, okay, I do need some server thing. I need some data store. I need to be able to update and do CRUD operations on that. But then I need a way of actually having my users log in. I need to associate that person with an identity that they could then log in mm-hmm. again with, right? Like, this is a very complicated process. Yeah, you just opened about. a whole bucket of worms with authentication there. I totally mean, did. But in, oh my I, God. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed something interesting though in your applications, Frank, when we talk about how you go about building applications okay. is some of your applications have no, no, just a completely offline experience only, which I think is interesting because if I look at you as an outside looker, uh, outside looking in, it's very intriguing. Uh, you're a very successful independent uh, developer, a mobile developer, desktop developer, developer in general. And I had a conversation recently about how can independent developers be successful when it costs money to run servers? Yeah. It costs money to have these services. And I said, well, I saw what Frank did early on, maybe not always early on, but you just created these great experiences that were just local. You have to start there. I mean, it, it really depends on what kind of app you're writing. If I was writing magazine apps uh, that came out with, or even better, a news app that had to stay updated daily, then of course you're downloading a lot of data and that's just what your app does. But I try, most of my apps are a little more on the creation side. So everyone's putting data into the app. The app is allowing you to manipulate data and visualize it in different ways. But in the end, it's you. You are the source of information. You are the network. <laughs> you are the backend server. So it doesn't need any of that stuff. Now, what it does need, though, is the collaborative aspects and the social aspects. But that's why I've been able to get away with uh, just focusing on the offline experience is because I'm always asking you to put data into my apps. But on the flip side of that, it's also an important feature of mine. I'm always out in the middle of a forest and any app that doesn't work offline just drives me nuts. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, that was my major focus, I think, when I build an application now is that I want to be in the middle of Costa Rica on a mountain and I want to access it, right? It, it, It infuriates me that we have these devices that my phone's, you know, 64 gigs or 128 gigs. Yeah. And I can only search one week's worth of Gmail. Exactly. Like I, I used to write giant apps on pathetic, tiny little IBM PCs, you know, they were terrible. So uh, why can't I do that everywhere, especially in the middle of Costa Rica? What else would you do there? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I mean. Like to have that access, I mean, that's a reason why I think even offline maps for Google has been so successful. It's like, it's, you know, it's getting data, it's doing this stuff, and it's synchronizing down my favorites, and I can just be there and open it. I mean, have all my data all the time. Yeah. I've always been obsessed about local copies of data. I was writing map programs just for that feature back in the day. Thank God I never released them, but I was writing them. I spent years writing them just because I was obsessed about offline data. Yeah, you have to be. And I think that will go into a larger topic later on. And what I was interested in is that we we obviously know, okay, listen, you just have some local data, you store it in a SQL database or whatever database you maybe have locally, and that's it. But what was interesting is that you were mentioning to me this thing that Apple, I've known about it for a long time. And I've never tried it. I've never, I don't understand its feature set. I don't understand its use case. But I really feel that for a lot of developers, it may be interesting because it's not, it's not cross platform. It's only for iOS, but it is a, 
is an SDK. You're talking about CloudKit, aren't you? I am talking about CloudKit, yes. And I don't quite understand it. I understand <laughs> iCloud, right? iCloud is sure. a iCloud is a mechanism that I log in on my device. It's like no, my iCloud Apple. is a marketing term. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's iCloud. Like I have an i like I have an Apple ID and I log in to my iCloud account essentially. Yeah, okay. Well, let me give a quick overview then for the non-iOS developers out there. Uh, CloudKit is well, unfortunately, I think it does actually mean a lot of things, but let's focus in on the one area that Apple wants you to focus on, and that is it's just an online database. You can store data in it. It has all the CRUD operations. You can add records. You can query them. You can update them. It's a bit more like a document store where uh, everything's ID-based, but you still have a concept of columns. It's, it's semi-relational. You can write queries against it, too. And the really cool thing about the queries is they have persistent subscribable queries that tie into the notification system of iOS. So you can subscribe to a query that's something like, oh, I could query where is James right now and calculate the distance to James. And so anytime James came within a certain distance, according to this database, my app would get notified as a proper uh, notification that brings my app to the foreground. This is all to say it's tightly integrated into the operating system. But that's not even its best feature. The best feature is it's free. It just works as an app developer. It just works for every user because pretty much all iOS users are logged into iCloud of some form. And as long as they're logged into iCloud, you get a free persistent database across devices. And then is this just storing locally into your core data? Is that how that kind of works? Is it synchronized with the SDK? So let's say, let's say I have an iPhone, but I didn't log in with my iCloud. And I said, Frank, no, I don't, you don't get iCloud. So is it just assuming then that, hey, this person's local and you just save everything locally? So this is an awesome lesson learned by Apple. In the beginning, that's exactly what iCloud did. It integrated with core data. And they tried to abstract persistence to the point where you didn't know if the data was on the server or if it was local. Mm -hmm. None of that mattered. It was just queries and tables and core data. It turns out that that's disastrous. It is the very definition of a leaky abstraction where you assume that something's going to act one way, but it randomly acts another way. Uh, Let's give examples here. So error handling is always the big one here. A core data query or insert might uh, translate to multiple calls to a server or something like that. Mm. And any one of those calls could fail. And when one of those calls fails, what happens? Your error message gets wrapped up and all you are told is there was a failure. So there's very little that you can do to uh, analyze what happened, all that. So Apple radically simplified the whole thing. The API is now very basic CRUD operations. You can query a table, you can insert to a table, you can update a table, and yeah, that's about it. You have basic SQL operations with the guarantee that if there's an error, you will be told about that error real fast. And so Apple switched its whole policy from hand-holding and we're going to take care of everything for you to no, we're going to radically simplify the API in the hopes that we're going to make your app more robust. Interesting. And then this is a free service that, I mean, you have to obviously continue to be a 
developer on the portal and keep paying your $100 a year fee or, or $2.99 fee. Sure, I'll assume that's true. Yeah. But it says you get a petabyte of data. Now, it seems like they're doing this on a per-user basis. And you have asset storage and data storage and then data transfer and requests, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So essentially... So CloudKit, it seems like it's more than just a database. Like you could store images and you could upload these yeah, things. It's a good database. It's a good database. But it's only for Mac OS and And that's its downfall. So I think we were talking about that where this is great if you're just gonna write iOS and Mac apps. Uh, I can't really think of a better solution out there as long as all your data fits within those limits. But the moment you want to be a cross-platform app, you have to give up the awesome freeness and awesomeness of the Apple API. And from there, wow, there's so many options. And, and it seems like here, at least with the... So if you even talk about this, I think that, that Google and, and Microsoft have some sort of... may have some sort of thing in here. At least Google may. I'm not 100% sure with some of their Firebase stuff. But you know, my goal, what I like about this is that people don't have to log in. They're already logged in because they're oh, logged yeah. in. Oh yeah, I alighted over that. That is one of the largest benefits is that my application doesn't have to have any login screen or anything like that. All I have is a simple Boolean variable that says, are they logged in or aren't they? And uh, that Boolean can change from time to time. By default, CloudKit doesn't even tell you who's logged in. The user has to grant your app access to learn about them. So it's very tight, very, very nicely done. Yeah, very, very privacy centric. So it seems like the the downfall here is like if you're only creating an iOS application, and that's it. You, oh, that's all you're ever going to do, or Mac OS X, or Mac OS. It's just Mac OS. Mac OS. Even though their website on iCloud says OS X, but it's, it's just Mac OS. Just Mac OS. And then you're totally fine. Like this could be a good plausible solution. And there's a C sharp SDK, obviously, because it's built into Xamarin, right? If yep. you're Xamarin with- wraps it very nicely. It's very simple to use. I told you the API is very simple. It's nice. I like that. Yeah, I like that. It is. It's reliable too. It actually does work. So, so you as an independent developer, then you make this decision, or and as any developer, like I'm only going to go on i on on, on Apple yeah. platforms, and this is what I'm going to go with. And it seems like it's a good, nice, viable product, but. It seems that it scale like it scales on those devices, but doesn't scale across multiple devices. Is there any way to like extract this data? I mean, essentially, if you build an application, then five a year later, maybe just one year later, like I need it on Android or I need it on Windows, are are you locked here? Like you can't get that data. So it's an excellent question, and I. I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a tiny bit out of date here because I know for a fact that they did open a web API. So if you're writing a website, you can access the data through a similar API. Now, I don't know if you're allowed slash supposed to do that from an Android device. Ah. Um, you know Apple. like It's technically possible, but God knows what's in that EULA that we all click. Gotcha. <laughs> so you would okay. have to read through some of that. Okay. Uh, so. But in general, the way I at least conceive of it is this is an Apple-only land. Now, I may be proven wrong by that. Maybe. Yeah. I'm behind. Sounds like they have a CloudKit JS, but it's not like there's going to be an easy SDK that does the synchronization. No, there's and definitely I, no Android SDK out there. Yeah. And least, also, you couldn't really even authenticate with iCloud. Yeah, I suppose that's where it really falls apart, right? Mm. Yeah. You would have is, to have some Apple software to do that part for you. Yeah, and I think then it became really interesting when we were building the Evolve application was to say, all right, so we need, this is obviously an application that is on, we're a cross-platform mobile <laughs> development company, right? Yes, sir. Um, and we need to be on every single device. And I got really lucky with that is, is you get to this point now where I like 
um, essentially think of iCloud as custom authentication, right? You just mm. happen to be authenticating with iCloud. It's very mm, transparent to your users. That's interesting. I've never considered it that. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, it's, it's Apple's custom authentication, right? It's not, it's not, it's, to you as a developer, you don't have to worry about the OAuth flow. You're not popping up a web browser to have them log in, right? Sure. Yeah, it is a big advantage. Yes, that's a that's a huge advantage. I think that's where I hate OAuth because <laughs> OAuth is it's 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 a protocol that everyone standardized, but you have to do it through a web browser, and then it's yeah. super tedious unless you own it, right? So if you own it, like we decided that hey, for Xamarin Evolve, we're going to use we use Azure on the back end, um, and on the on the front end. To do online offline sync, and then we use custom custom authentication to do the login. And I got lucky. See? What, does, what what do you mean in that case? What's custom authentication mean? So, ooh, so custom authentication is we decided to use the Xamarin auth. So you log in with your Xamarin. Oh, you account. actually wrote an authentication server. Here's the best part: we already had a, an authentication server. I didn't even have to write it. Nice. I just got the endpoint and the tokens. To, nice. So I could nice. just, <laughs> just send an HTTP post yeah. and get a token back, and it was a token that never expired. So it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So you prefer that over like if I was to run a big public service where I want to have access from all sorts of places, I would just support Facebook and Twitter. You know, whatever the uh, open authentication standard is between those two. What is it? ODIC or is that something else? Whatever. I would just do something like that. I wouldn't. I think this gets again back to my fear of servers. I would never run an authentication server at all. No, it's scary. There's things like uh, zero auth. There's obviously auth built into Azure. There's auth built into AWS. There's all auth. I think it's what I was thinking of, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, exactly. It's like, do you want to? I mean, that's the next scale, right? So you are locked into uh, Apple if you're on Mm cloud, and then Mm -hmm. you, Frank, have to make a decision. Yeah. Or X developer has to make a decision. Do I want to run my own servers, Mm -hmm. or do I want to go with a cloud provider? Yeah, and I can I can tell you from my perspective, uh, I've tried running my own servers in the past, and I don't like doing it. I find that it's not even the cost or anything like that. It's the vulnerability, it's the security patching, it's all that kind of stuff. I'm not too big a fan of running your own servers. But if you run in a, a bigger shop than mine, if you actually have some coworkers to help you out, it's definitely a, a good solution, especially using .NET, where you can share a lot of code with the server. But I tend to go to Azure or AWS instead. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have it. I used to have a server in my house, personal server, um, which was a nightmare. And I was just yeah. it was a server for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm going to stake my company and my reputation on something, having my own, and, and I mean, you don't even have to host the the hardware, right? So when when I talk about this, you could be hosting the hardware. If you're doing it out of your house, that's probably a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But you're most likely renting some servers that are on some CDN from some company to hopefully down the road that you could go talk to or has multiple data centers or your data is, is duplicated. But then you are literally installing the software, right. the servers, yeah. everything like that. This is your non-cloud provider. You're doing it yourself, installing MySQL. Yeah. Sounds terrible. Yeah, it's not terrible. Um, it's it's actually quite a joy from the developer's perspective, but it's terrible from the maintenance perspective. It's yeah. it's nice to be able to control your entire infrastructure. You can really set things up nicely that way, but there are downsides. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously in that instance, it could be cheaper to go to because you're just renting the server. You can scale. You can just buy one. You can buy whatever. And as you go on, you can host things on, but you have to worry about data 
where your data is living. You right? have to worry about whether you support WebSockets or HTTP2. I mean, you have to decide on streaming protocols. You have to decide on your uh, CDN, you know, where are you going to put big static files? Oh, so much. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. So, so then you, you, so we can skip over that. Essentially, that sounds, to me, that sounds terrible. And I don't have very it's much experience. It's doable. It's doable. But let's skip it because it's not very productive. There are too many downsides. No. We, you know, actually in our, in my last company that I worked at um, a while ago, we would run just our local, we had a big server room and we would do like all of our file downloads out of there. So like we would have our own, Thing, but then we also had a CDN with data, and it just seemed like a big hassle because none of us were IT pros. Like, That's I'm a developer, problem. exactly. If I'm you de- have an IT pro and they love babysitting servers, then more power to you. But oof, that's you're lucky. <laughs> you're very lucky. Yeah, it's like I already have to worry about like, is there a bug in my API? Is there a merge? Like, not a, um, is there a you know upgrade merge thing that's gone wrong? And you know things like that. But worrying. Oh my goodness! Like, is my server up, or is the server misconfigured, or they can't hit this thing because it's HTTPS and not HTTP? That seems just like a headache to hassle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it sounds like we're actually in agreement here. No merge conflict here. We both say let's use some high level services because it's life's too short. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, I want other people to manage it. I don't even want to manage my own blog. I mean, <laughs> I do, but then I don't. Like, it seems like a great idea. Like, oh, I'll manage my own blog. I'll do this. Yeah, I used to run man. a WordPress site. I could write my own code to generate it. Oh, it could have great. all these cool scripts built into it. Do you know what I use, though? Actually, I don't. I use Tumblr. Of it's course you do. <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But you know what? It's never down. You know who else uses Tumblr? Who else uses Tumblr? Me. You oh, know my why? goodness. Because it's never down. I don't have to think about it. <laughs> when I want to post something, the form usually works. The form yeah. usually works. They'll host, 99% They'll host my images for free. I like that. Yeah, yeah. They'll rescale um, them, do ugly things. They'll take over your links a little bit. But whatever. It's free. And I don't have to think about it. It's like, you know, I used to run my own WordPress site. I used to do all this stuff. And then that's open source. So like, oh, and I got to worry about like... Just patching, apply it's just patch, 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 patch. The theme, and I'm like, oh, I just never want to have to worry about that. Um, and now I'm locked in because I want to go to Ghost, but because uh, <laughs> I even kickstarted it and I have one on there, but I just don't want to worry about. Ghost doesn't migration. have an importer. They don't have a URL matcher for you. They have like a WordPress importer, but not a Tumblr importer, right? This is even like if you choose, like when you go to one, and you you pick a cloud provider, you pick like your thing, like you're, yeah. you're just stuck to it, right? Gosh, I worry about that too. I mean, I, I shouldn't because the fact of the matter is you never change. This is like the old argument of, oh, I want to abstract my database, but no one ever changes their database. That is going to be a great episode. <laughs> We're going to talk about databases. I was, I was listening to, where was I at? This was at maybe a VS Live and Jimmy Bogard, Bogard, Bogard. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, let's go with that. Auto Mapper. Uh, yeah. He was doing this whole talk on ORMs and abstracting your data layer, all this stuff. And he goes, "Yeah, you spent two weeks or three weeks deciding that more. you needed an, or more doing this. Like, oh, I need an I data manager and an I data <laughs> this and a data that. You got to abstract commands and you got to abstract parameters to commands and data types to parameters." <laughs> And he goes, when was the last time you ever decided to swip out, switch out like your database like, that you're using? <laughs> like, like, I think t- one person in history must have ever. What, you said two? Two people? Like, two people raised their hands that they had to do that. And they're like, well, how long did it take you? Like a day, a week, yeah. you know? And like, <laughs> like it's not that, that much. Like, yeah. the, the, the major part is the migration and doing this and that. It's that like you've cost so much overhead and so much fluff that it's just crazy. And every abstraction introduces bugs. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Um, it's fun. I think I had I had fun one time. I was converting a framework over. I converted uh, an app from MVVM uh, across over to Xamarin Forms, and I did a lot of nice abstractions, and it made it very easy. But had I not, it still would have just took you know an extra day or something like that. But uh, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. You know how I originally ported iCircuit to other platforms? No. I rewrote UIKit for the other platforms. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Because <laughs> you know what? It's already high level. <laughs> whatever. Just re-implement it. <laughs> That's right. I guess you just go whatever. And yeah. you only ever use a tiny subset. So, you know, no big deal. Yeah. And now, well, that's actually interesting. So iCircuit, you integrated this feature. It's just like a gallery, right? Is, 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 is this your, Was that your first app that kind of did some of this connection? No, I, I've written uh, weirder apps in the past. Let's ignore those. Yeah, this is the first app. Okay. <laughs> um, this is something I've wanted, I basically want in all of my apps, since I do tend to write creation apps where people are making things, usually very cool and interesting things. At least according to my support emails, I get emailed a lot of cool and interesting things. I want people to be able to upload those and share them and, you know favorited and comment on them that all works fine with the aggregator sites like twitter and reddit but twitter and reddit need to point at something and so i always want something for people to contribute to and be able to share with and so that was that i wrote uh uh the gallery for iCircuit. i guess it was actually my second attempt at it i it was the second one the first one was on an azure and only worked on the windows phone 7 so for 20 people out there, it was a pretty great experience. <laughs> a great experience. Yeah. So I did a web version after that, <laughs> just to be a little more broad. Oh. But yeah, that, that's, it's an important part for me. I just, I want people to share. Just, I have fun with it. I use an app. Oh, what's the app called? Uh, a paper on the iPad. And they just added a little bit of a social network feature. At first, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Like, why do you need a social network and a stupid drawing app? And then I realized it's really fun to follow people and see what they're drawing. And so I just started posting all my stupid drawings. And, you know, if you want to share them, what the heck, it's fun. It just makes the app fun. Yeah, I think that 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 extra social bump is kind of what drives your users back into your application. And it, at some point, you need to think about, the nice thing is that you don't have to think about that right up front, depending on the type of app you're creating. Mm-hmm. Like you could have all this stuff and then offer later on this connected type of experience, right? You can always yeah. add a feature. You don't have to have everything all up front. This sounds like kind of what you did with iCircuit. And, but then at some point you have to then decide, all right, so now I'm now moving content off the device onto this web and I need it to be synchronized across everything. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's where you now decide, well, your app has to change. Does it become a subscription service? Is that an upcharge? Maybe it was a free app. Uh, Maybe this part of the application where it synchronizes and stores all your data is a paid version, paid Mm -hmm. upgrade. But then also you have to worry about like, is there an SDK on all these platforms? Does it support all these platforms? How do I handle it? You're nailing it. These are all my nightmares. I mean, you're just nightmare after nightmare. Keep going through them, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we were doing the Evolve app. I'll point it back because it's the most recent thing that I did. And I after the conference, they updated the website and it would pull down the YouTube um, uh, the YouTube link to, to do the YouTube video. And I go, oh, I got to change the schema and the app because this is, of course, a different backend thing that they did. Uh-huh. And I'm like, 
that I don't even want to like. I don't even know what the 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 entity data framework is going to do on the server. I'm just like, I'll just keep it running, right? <laughs> sure. Um, it's scary, like when you think about like what's next, because you can upgrade an application all the time, but you have one shot at upgrading your your production app. Of course, you're doing yeah. a dev environment, hopefully first to test that stuff. But it kind of yeah. gets a little bit scary, I think, to worry about this big backend. You're paying a company. To, to, to do this for you, whether it's Azure, AWS, or Google or something. But I think the nice thing there is that at least we've I've gotten rid of the issue, which is I have to go worry about the CDN, I have to worry about DDoS attacks, I have to worry about this stuff. Like Azure, you know, it can handle DDoS attacks on an Xbox One level with something like Titanfall, right? Like, yeah. or something like that. It, it, it is, it, these things are built to be indestructible, essentially, which is kind of a nice thing for us developers, right? We, we have this huge data centers. Oh, there's a huge new data center in China. There's a huge new one in the UK. Like, all right, we don't have to worry about it. Like, that's cool to me, right? But if you get a huge bump over in your users in India, well, I'm just going to go point a just data replicate. Like, how cool is that, you know? Oh, it's even cooler when you don't have to do that or the thing automatically does it. But I have to tell you, these are not foolproof. You can still do foolish things on them. When I released Kelka, the uh, version that is subscription-based, I screwed up even my CloudKit, my beloved CloudKit, which I think is the best online data store out there. I screwed it up so that everyone's app crashed (laughs) whenever trying to access CloudKit. Mm. And that's because I forgot that CloudKit has a difference between production and uh, development. And I forgot to push my development schema up to production. So all my queries were failing and the error logic path was a bad, bad path. And everyone's app was crashing. That hurts. Fools can still be fools. <laughs> you live and learn, really. I mean, that's yeah. that's the problem. Is once your app goes live, you got to worry about users. You got to worry about data migration, not breaking your own users. And you yeah, can do the that good news is that's only a one time. Like I, I have faith in it now. I don't think any of that's ever going to happen again. And just that one time. So I obviously have a lot of experience with Azure. And it seems like you have experience kind of dabbling. There used to be parse. No, I, I was pretty good at Azure. The problem with Azure is they keep adding services and changing things. So when I, I, I used to be able to say, oh, I know 20% of Azure. Now I know like 0.2%. Oh, there's so much in there. It's yeah. so crazy. There's, I mean, any of them are like that now. There's just so much in there. Yeah. So do you think like if you were to go and you're moving on to some you know, provider, I mean, a- Azure offers a very, a very central mobile suite called mobile apps. Mm. And AWS has a mobile bit that's in it because obviously AWS is huge and Azure is huge and even Google Cloud is is huge too. But then there's some smaller providers, someone like a, a Couchbase, for instance, that that's yeah. out there and they're there. And Parse used to be around. Now you can run a Parse yeah. server on Azure, for instance, mm-hmm. and you could then integrate this Parse API to if you like that server bit. Are you more of a I would like something custom tailored? To mobile app, like that's all the company does, or is that a little bit scary now that Parse has gone away? Like, did that change your feeling on mobile backend providers at all? Yeah, I'll be honest. This is terrible, but I've always been a little bit nervous about the smaller ones. I tend to side with the larger companies. I'll even worry about something like Dropbox. Like, Dropbox isn't going anywhere, but I'll still be like, ooh, you know, ooh, should I depend on them? So, yeah, uh, personally speaking, you know, this is just how I run things. Yeah, I tend to go towards the bigger companies. Yeah, I think that if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, these apps aren't short lived. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, these apps um, are around for five, six, seven, eight years. That's a whole other conversation of how long you should support your app. But I mean, there's people. Well, as long as you got a subscription model, good for you. You know, keep yeah, running it. <laughs> it's there. So yeah. I think for me, I, I'm the same. I think that 
I mean, obviously I like the CloudKit thing because that's run by Apple and they're a very right. large company with a lot of money and they understand uh, security and architecture. Microsoft, they yeah. understand security. Amazon, they understand security. They, they run these things themselves. Um, not that any smaller company is bad or even running your own server is bad. Sure. I think, no. you know, it's for me as a, if I, if I was just an independent developer, and, and on my apps that I create, I'm an independent developer. It's, if it's not for Xamarin or something like that, for a conference. But if I'm creating an app, I immediately think, oh man, I got to spin up this backend. I got to worry about this. I got to, you yeah. know, do, do these integrations. I got to worry about, and I want to not worry. Yeah. I think that's what's important. So that's what I look for. Uh, I look at two things. I look at their API, and I look at how much effort I have to put in. And that effort can be from pretty much nothing at Apple's level to pretty low with Azure, where basically you just have to make sure you keep paying every month. But you'd be surprised. I lose credit cards, I cancel credit cards, and I forget. And then the service goes down, bad things happen. So I look at that. I look at how much effort I have to put into it. And then I also look at the API. Now, you mentioned Parse and a few others. This is a part where I think I'm... I'm I learned the same lesson along with Apple, where I don't actually want too much sophistication in my cloud libraries. I do like the simplicity of basic CRUD operations. They can fail anytime. Write your app with that architecture. And as long as you have those simple uh, constraints, go for it. So while I find awesomeness in Azure becoming bigger and bigger, I would probably go onto Azure and find the smallest service they have that provides basically that level of detail. Yeah, I'm a big fan of very small, tight SDKs and just like focus on this one thing. I understand that you're this you're this thing in this huge thing, but I really want that one little thing to be amazing for me as an independent developer coming in and building this application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be just not just not as big as a fan of magic as I used to be. I used to want software that was plug and play, wired all up, everything just worked. But I found out that creates pretty unreliable software. Yeah, sometimes when there's too much magic, <laughs> I think that it does. Uh, someone was asking me, uh, I created some library or something like, how does that work? Like magic, yeah. just magic, it just works. So you don't need to know why it works. I it say that magic. to my parents all the time. <laughs> That's when they ask a technical question, magic. Magic, it's how it works. How does email work? Magic, I don't know. I get so many eye rolls. (laughs) So has there ever been a time that you you have these backends now, you literally have apps that are connected. Is is there times that you worry about things going down, things going up, and how do you handle that? Like, Have you had to handle a situation? Yeah, I, I do I worry? No, because I tend to use these larger services that have way larger limits than I could ever use. You know, the old joke is if you're hitting the limits, good for you. Like it's good news, actually. Uh, but funnily enough, on my last app launch, I was hosting the website on Linode and I've never gotten warning emails from them before, but I was actually getting some bandwidth warning emails. And that was awesome is because I put these giant GIFs on there. I just have these big animated GIFs all over the website. But also, I was getting a good amount of traffic. Um, but it was, that got me a little nervous. I was like, oh yeah, this isn't like one of those high-level hosts. Like At some point, I will hit a number, and at that magic number, I don't make sales anymore. <laughs> and so I got a tiny bit worried there. But when I did the math, at the rate I was going, I was fine. So, But I did get a little nervous. Yeah, it's uh, that's also interesting. When we were doing the... I was extremely worried. I think I always get worried around app launch time because yeah. exactly there's multiple things that you can't mm-hmm. forget it's that hey traffic, there's yeah. this traffic. Yeah, exactly. I remember 
four years ago, we were launching this app and we got, we got posted. You, it's, you can't even, you can, you don't even know, right? We got posted on Engadget. Awesome. And our blog got destroyed. Just like, obliterated. <laughs> it was self-hosted. It was that uh, one. It was, uh, it was, this one, this was at an old company that I did. And uh-huh. I think we were, I forget if we had a host or something like that. Okay. But the problem was, oddly enough, is that it, it was on the same server as our website. Terrible idea. Uh-huh. And uh, it went down, but it took down our website. And what actually happened was, I think I wrote some bad HTML or some weird JavaScript or something. <laughs> and uh, it brought down the whole server because it was throwing all these errors and these things. So it was like this spike in traffic where if you just had a, you know, a, a people trickling in, their, their website would oh, load yeah. a little bit slower, sure, but sure. it would bring it down. And I see this time and time again, like you don't, these unanticipated like spikes, like how can yeah. you handle those spikes and like worry <laughs> about that? Um, and we then I worry about the app launch. Like when we did the Evolve app, is we we handled millions of requests in this application, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we're you're locally testing against four or five devices. And you're like, this is great. <laughs> like, web scale? Hope, is it web scale? Yeah, I hope that auto scale is gonna <laughs> kick in. Is that what you use? Did you use auto scale? We did use auto scale, um, which did was it, pretty. Did it cost like ten grand for that one app then? Or? No, no, no. Uh, here is the really cool thing about. I will say so we can kind of to hold up on this is that. Mm-hmm. It's a really great time to actually be integrating these backends into your applications because they've gotten dirt cheap. Um, oh, that's good we, to hear. We did the Evolve application. Now we weren't we weren't uploading um, files, right? This was just yeah, a very just small data, data, just XML, and just JSON. just JSON coming back and forth. In one week, we did a million requests. My app was very chatty. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, we did a million requests to the backend server. Um, and this was all do with the authentication, with saving favorites, with leaving reviews. Uh, and we did auto scale, which means that our server spun up and spun down automatically. And it mm-hmm. did a phenomenal job. Like you could see awesome. sessions starting, sessions ending, starting sessions starting, sessions ending, everyone sleeping. Cool. Uh, and that cost us $30 for that week. For the week? Pretty good. But, well, since the beginning of, of development up until the end of that week, essentially. So let's say worst case, $1,000 a month for the... That kind of traffic, but that's well, I mean, a good amount of traffic. Well, that was for that application a million. So that was for a full week. So you're looking at no, a hundred, a hundred and twenty, two hundred dollars. Oh, I'm sorry, I totally messed that up. Yeah, yeah thank two, you. Yeah, two hundred dollars. <laughs> Don't yeah, do math on a, little, a podcast. Like, what are you doing? I had a million people screaming at me. Yeah, we had we had like it would be so it'd be like maybe two hundred dollars max for that application running, which is not super cheap, but it's also not yeah. crazy no, no, expensive. That's quite, yeah, quite reasonable. Yeah, quite reasonable. Especially course, when you can rely on it and it's scaling. Yeah. And it's scaling. And I also I feel like mention, we're giving a commercial for Azure here, but okay, good no, enough. I mean, this is, so also like you have to decide like this is really good interesting is that when you subscribe to these services, there's things like auto scale, like those can either cost you more or cost you less. Mm-hmm. Then there's things like I do like, worry uh, about them. That's I, I worry about too much maybe, but I always worry about the auto scale, you know, taking like thirty servers throughout China for some reason. Yeah. Well make sure that you put a cap on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also like what are you paying for? Like we picked a pretty expensive tier. We didn't mm-hmm. pick the free tier. Don't don't ever release an app on a free tier. That's a terrible idea. Oh all mine are on the free tier. No. <laughs> well, a free at least yeah. a free tier of Azure. It's pretty slow. We had uh, we had someone one time like they're like well the Azure one that kind of spins down the VM after five minutes so we yeah, just I set know. up a uh, to, to really ping bad. ping every five minutes every oh, four that's and a half terrible. minutes <laughs> it's probably against the EULA it probably is it's a bad idea 
But yeah, you know, worry about that. And you know, AWS and Google, they're all the, they're all the same type of scaling. So you know, pick how you want to scale right away, and but pick something that has flexibility. Because yeah. if you were releasing this app like you did, and you didn't have the flexibility of your web host because you were hosting it locally, like, I have to go buy another server. Like, whoa, that's no, crazy. Yeah. No, no, we're never returning to those days. I had the server in the closet. I used to call it the monster in the closet because it was so loud. <laughs> I am never going back to those days. Well, there you have it. From starting locally, I really like this CloudKit thing. We'll add a link in the show notes for it. Um, this has been super awesome. I just love talking about these awesome Yeah, it was almost therapeutic. This was really yeah. good for me too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm James Mondemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace.